So this morning we're going to be in uh, Acts 17, verses 22 through 34. Uh, Acts 17, verses 22 through 34. And uh, before we, we dive in, I sort of want to set the stage here for you. And uh, if you looked at in your bulletin this morning, you may have noticed that the, the title of this message is An Honest Conversation. Okay, an honest conversation, because that's what I want to have this morning. And you may say, well, well, you're the pastor. You stand up there and you do all the talking. Um, so how are we going to have a conversation? Well, here's the thing. This is a message, and there's always an opportunity to respond. So is it, there is, this is a conversation, as in you're going to have an opportunity um, at some point during the service to respond. The question is, how will you respond? This morning, the thing I want to focus on um, is... What are we going to do Wednesday morning? How are we going to do something different than maybe we have been doing this Wednesday morning? Now, in case you haven't heard, there happens to be this election going on this Tuesday. Um, many of us will go to the polls, um, and we're going to vote. And my guess is late, late Tuesday night or early Wednesday morning, some of you are going to be pretty happy, and some of you are going to be pretty much down in the dumps. Now, this morning, I don't want to focus on what's going to happen up to the election or how we're going to vote or anything like that. I want to focus on what happened Wednesday. And has anything changed from today to Wednesday? Has anything ever changed? And we're going to talk about that this morning. Because, see, culture's always going to change. The culture around us is always going to change. But the gospel is never changing. We must never forget that. And we must realize that when Wednesday morning gets here, that there are lost souls out here in this world that we need to touch for Jesus Christ and our mission has not changed. The Great Commission has not changed. And that needs to be our focus come Wednesday morning. But this morning, we're going to talk about how do we actually do that? How do we prepare our hearts? How do we make sure that, again, I, when I prayed a moment ago, I mentioned fertile ground. How do we get to our hearts to a place where we truly are fertile ground, where the Holy Spirit can do great things through us? And we're going to see a great example of that this morning in Paul. But to sort of set the stage... I want to make sure we're on the same page with sort of the atmosphere, okay? When I say the atmosphere, sort of where we are right now in this country when it comes to Christianity, um, where we are right now with a few statistics. I'm not going to throw tons of numbers at you. I'm just going to give you a few this morning as well. But I want to start with a couple of stories. And I shared this with our student ministry over the past few weeks because I want them to know the world around them. I want them to know the world they're inheriting. I want them to be able to make their faith their own when they graduate, and they can make godly decisions, and they know truly what right and wrong is. And when I say right and wrong, I don't mean what the world is teaching them because we know they'll make the wrong decision if that's the case, but what God's Word is teaching them. So I want to share two stories I share with them. Uh, if you subscribe to American Family Association, you may have heard of both of these already. One is about um, University Town Center Mall in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, they put out a memo um, for, as they prepare for the holidays. They're going to have some music. Um, they have choir groups that come in and sing. It sounds um, really nice. But they did put out a memo that says, hey, we'd love your choir group to, to come sing, but there can be no uh, references to Christianity, no traditional um, holiday music, no mentioning of Jesus Christ within any of the songs. Um, they had a third party that manages this on behalf of the mall that put this information out. Now, there was one exception. You could sing all of the above as long as you only sung it in Spanish, French, or German, but not English. Now, 
I'm not really sure why the last part they made that decision, but within 24 hours, because people like you called and voiced their concern, the mall changed the policy and said we will absolutely be having traditional Christian songs sung in this mall over Christmas. I also let our students know about uh, a recent um, memo that came out. Uh, in a, in a, I'm not going to give you too much information because I want to really set the stage for how I set it for the students. But um, a recent memo that came out beginning of the school year uh, to a school district. And uh, the memo was um, that there should be no mentions of Christianity um, by teachers or students allowed to be placed in the hallways, on desks, no Bibles on desks, no jewelry should be worn that uh, demonstrates Christianity of any kind. Um, and if your jewelry is, is determined to be too overt, then you will be asked to remove it. Um, I asked the students, I said, where do you think uh, this happened? A couple said, oh, I think that was probably in Russia. Another student said, oh, that's probably China. Another student said, I think that happened in Alaska. I was like, man, Alaska's got a bad rap here. Um, but no, this was in Georgia. Um, a county in Georgia uh, put this notice out uh, to all of the faculty. You know, every year more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared to just 1,000 churches that are started. This is pretty sobering, this next statistic. The United States now ranks third following China and India in the number of people who are not professing Christians. In other words, the U.S. is becoming an increasingly unreached people group. There have actually been um, quite a few uh, articles about this recently. Um, Christians in China, you know where they're sending their missionaries? To the United States. Um, because we're looked at as an unreached people group. So they're sending their missionaries to the United States. Half of all churches in the United States did not add any new members to the ranks in the last two years. 20.5% of Americans frequently attended church in 1995. 20.5% frequently equals at least two times per month. In the year 2002, it was 18%. And what about young people? So we throw out a lot of statistics. 70%, 80% leave church. When does it happen? About 70% of young adults indicated that um, they dropped out of church. If they attended church at least one year during their high school um, for, during those four years, just one year, they attended church. That 70% of those students dropped out. But two-thirds went back um, and are attending church today. So it does show the importance of them being in church. So why share all this? Why talk about these numbers and figures? I mentioned earlier, Wednesday, we need to feel like we've won, not like we lost. Because, guys, that's the thing we need to realize this morning is that we may feel like in our human mind that we've got this daunting task in front of us, okay? But we have already won the war. God already won the war for us. Jesus Christ is, is living in heaven today. He died on the cross. He rose three days later. We must never forget that. And come Wednesday morning, we must realize that our mission has remained the same. But how do we actually live this mission? How are we actually going to go out and change minds for Jesus Christ? Because, see, right now, there's a lot of concern about that. Um, some of the things I just shared with you, right? That doesn't sound like a very open environment. But the thing that we are going to talk about this morning, and the thing that you know in your heart of hearts, is that if we're only sharing Jesus Christ with the people in these four walls, 
and we're only living our faith in the comfort of our living rooms, then we're not going to bring anybody to Jesus Christ. But that is what the world is telling us we should do. We all know that if we go out into the world, we're probably going to have some people who mock us, some people who make fun of us, some people who may not want to hear. But again, let's look at Paul this morning. What did he do? What was his response to that? How did he engage with the culture to ensure that he connected to the people so that he could confront them and then he could deliver the gospel message? He had a very specific pattern that he used over and over again in his mission work. And this morning, I think we can take a look at that pattern and we can learn a lot from it. It doesn't matter that it's 2016. And you're going to see that this morning. So with that, if you can turn to Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 34. And I'm just going to set the stage here for you. So Paul has, has traveled to Athens, okay? And he has really spent some time engaging with the local culture. Um, he understands the philosophies and the poetry. Um, and he uh, goes to where he knows that there are uh, believers, okay? People have a similar worldview to him. He's gone to the Jews and the believing Gentiles, and he's spending time with them. And then he goes out um, from there, and he starts to branch out um, to the pagans and in the marketplace. And why does he do this? And we're going to get deep into this a little bit later, but why does Paul choose to do this? And again, you'll see this. This is a pattern. This is not something he chose just to do because he was in Athens. This is a pattern he does over and over again. And why does he do this? Because he goes out and gets people who have a similar worldview and gets inroads, gets a rapport, has an understanding with them, okay? Has some brothers and sisters in arms, if you will. Then he starts to expand from there. And why does he do that? Because he knows he's going to share Jesus Christ. So that sort of sets the stage of, of where we are. And if you can stand out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's Word this morning, we're going to read together. Acts 17, verses 22 through 34. Then Paul stood in the midst of Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship, without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temple made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all the life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art in man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. 
And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Donosius, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just ask that you would bless the reading of your holy word in your house this morning, Lord. Lord, let uh, your word never be void, Lord. Let instead, let us understand it better, how to apply it to our lives, Lord, and how to truly use it to empower us, Lord. Lord, we just thank you so much for sharing it with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, obviously, a lot, of, a lot going on there, right? A lot of verses, but we're going to unpack this and break it down, and you're really going to see this model of communication that Paul has built for all of us to use. You're also going to see how he uses relevance as a tool, okay? The gospel proclamation, um, that's the goal, but he used relevance as a tool as he connects to the culture around him. See, he portrays a timeless strategy for evangelism that doesn't overreact, it doesn't underreact, it doesn't counteract. Instead, it's a, it's a prayerful choice consistently to have a, a discerning uh, ethic of engaging the culture purposefully, knowing that your mission never changes. So you don't bend to the culture, you don't change because of the culture, okay? But you engage the culture, always focus on the gospel message, and that you are going to have the opportunity to deliver that message. Now, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. The downside to our way of thinking, because, again, we, we think in our human mind, we see the world around us, okay? We get very fearful about hostility, about how we're going to be treated, how others are going to react. Well, if I share Jesus Christ, am I going to be accepted? Are people going to hurt my feelings? Are they going to make fun of me? All those are very fair feelings. But it's also just doubt, trying to keep us from our mission that's at hand, and that is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to share the gospel, to share Jesus Christ with everyone. You know, I think a big part of this is because, especially for non-believers, and we see this in, in Acts 1.8, um, when Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus' disciples were looking to him for this, you know, overt coming of his kingdom, right? So they're like, hey, you know, it, it's gonna, here comes his kingdom. It's going to be demonstrated by um, military power and political power. And, and uh, you know, what they missed was that Jesus' kingdom had already come. And so many non-believers... That's what they're missing today, too. And those who have fallen away from the church, that's the thing they never really understood or got. Because, you see, they want to take Jesus and say, well, well I have Jesus now, right? So I, I'm happy all the time. I never have any hardships. I never have anything difficult to go through. I have plenty of money. No. We all know that that is simply not the case. Now, what, are you, what is your focus on? Is your focus on the fact that Hey, God gives me hardships so I can learn from them. God puts me through challenges so I can grow, so I can connect to other people, so I can share Him in a greater way. The issue that I see is that so many people who have fallen away from the church are non-believers. They want to paint their own version of Jesus. That isn't the actual Jesus that we know. It isn't the God in heaven. The other thing that I see is that Paul was not ashamed. Paul at no time was ashamed to say, what you have worshipped in ignorance, this I proclaim to you in Acts 17.23. So we struggle to use words like that because I don't know about you, but last time I was called ignorant, it sort of hurt a little bit. 
okay? But there are times when I act ignorant. I know it's probably a big surprise to all of you, okay? Every once in a while, my wife has to remind me that I may have just acted a little ignorant. And in the moment, I may not like that. But a little bit later, I come back and say, you know what? Thank you for calling me on the carpet because I really needed that. I'm sure no other men have ever had that, and I'm the only one. Um, so you can just look to me as your example, or don't. Um, so here's the thing you have to understand about Paul. Um, first off, Paul knew God's truth. So Paul knew that these were just merely statues, that they were merely stones that these folks were worshiping. He knew that there was a God in heaven. Um, he knew the truth and the deception and the false teachings that were going around. Okay? Now, why is this important? Because we all know that Paul knew that, and we can just gloss over it, but what's important is that because Paul knew the truth, he could stand up to the falsehoods. Okay? He could say, hey, this is actually, you know, these stones actually have no power. Um, these, now, again, to us, it seems pretty straightforward, but the, keep in mind, the person across from you right now totally believes that if I pray to this stone, some good things are going to happen. And you can't just gloss over that. You actually have to take that into account when you're talking to them. You know, the, secondly, he was indwelt by the Spirit. He had the Spirit flowing through him. Now, I'll just ask you, think about times where you've truly been connected to God. I'm talking about those times where the Spirit is truly flowing through you. Now, look back and think about the, what, what was accomplished. Could you do that on your own? Could you do that with your own understanding or by yourself? Absolutely not. You know today, sitting here, because you believe in God, because you have a relationship with Him, you know without a doubt that was the Holy Spirit flowing through you. Something I talk to our students a lot about is the Holy Spirit. Because it's something where either you felt the Holy Spirit and you, and you understand how to connect to the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit just work through you or you don't. And I, I know that with, it's, a, it's a journey. Okay? Once you believe in God and you've given yourself to Him, you have to get to that place where actually you can say, Lord, I am yours. Have your way, and the Holy Spirit will flow through you. The thing I constantly get concerned about is somebody graduating and have never, ever felt the Holy Spirit. Don't know what the Holy Spirit feels like. Not sure who the Holy Spirit is. Now, for some of us, we might be thinking, well, how could, how could that be? How could it be for the lost person? Right? The person who says, I now believe in Jesus Christ, but stepped away from the church. I have a big question for that person. Did they ever feel the Holy Spirit? Because I know the Holy Spirit wants to work through them, but did they ever actually allow the Holy Spirit to work through them? Because I think if they did, I'm not sure that they would have found it so easily just to walk outside those doors and leave the church. You know, the question for us is, when is the last time that we became emotionally upset by the lost. When's the last time we became emotionally upset by the lost? And what I mean by that is, when's the last time we were just walking down the street and we just saw the lostness around us and we just felt emotionally hurt by it? Some of you may say, well, yesterday or today or, or all the time, and, and, you know, praise God for you. But I also know that there's a lot of us in this room that we're so caught up and so busy, you know, working 50 hours a week, with kids and food to get on the table and so many different things going on that if we pause, if, I, if you pause right now, you'll say, man, you know what? I bet you I, I went right by a lot of lost people this week. But did you see them in the moment? 
you know, Paul was jealous for God's glory. Jealous in a good way. Like he wanted God's glory because he was connected to the God that he knew loved him. And he wanted to share that love with other people. See, Paul was, he was so concerned about people going to hell. He was so concerned. His number one concern was, I want to live the Great Commission. I want to go out and let the Gentiles know about Jesus Christ. And I want to connect to my Jewish brothers who have been given Jesus Christ. And I want them to know, because I do not want anybody to perish. But how did he actually do it? Like, how did Paul actually communicate? What was his communication method? I said earlier, he sort of, he sort of did have a certain process that he, he followed. And you, you see it over and over again. And it's a process that, again, in 2016, I think we could totally copy. One was, he was a general observer. Paul just sat back. I guess my wife would probably call it a people watcher. I think I mentioned before, my wife is a bit of a people watcher. Sometimes I have to tell her, hey, we're, we're at dinner. You don't need to be people watching. But sometimes she gets a little, she'll, she'll, she'll look at the world around her and she'll be like, do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that? I'm like, do you see me? Um, and I have to remind her that we're still at dinner together. But uh, Paul is a general observer. So he's looking at the world around him and he's, he's sort of learning. It's all going in here. Okay? We all know Paul was also a really smart guy. Okay? And as he's sitting there and looking at the world around him, he's thinking to himself, hey, again, look at the verses. He's thinking to himself, I know the philosophers, I know the poets, okay? I understand their religion, I understand their education. Why is all that important? Because when he gets in a conversation, he can connect. He can bond. He can build a rapport. He can build a rapport with a believer, or he can go as far as to build a rapport with a non-believer. We see this in verses 16 and then 22 through 23. We see these general observations. Now my question for you is, think about general observations and think about sharing the gospel. Would you go out and share the gospel the same way to a Kenyan farmer as you would a Wall Street professional? I hope not. I mean, the gospel message wouldn't change. You'd get to a point where you deliver the gospel message. It's never changing. But if you go in and just go to them and say, here's Jesus Christ, he's down on... He died on the cross. He broke. You're not going to get anywhere. Right? Amen? You're going to have to figure out what's important to this Kenyan farmer. What's his life experiences? Well, how can I connect to him so he understands that Jesus is real to me and can also be real to him? It's no different for that Wall Street um, professional. The only difference is they're going to have two way different life experiences. And you're going to have to approach that differently because of it. What about in verse 17? We see that he consistently has a religious conversation. Again, this is a model that he used over and over again. Paul went to places where he had common ground. He preached to the Jews and then the God-fearing Gentiles. Um, He began with people who had a similar worldview as him. Um, And then again, he would go out into the marketplace, into the pagans. Think about this a little bit uh, for myself. So, um, you know, as, as I go and, and interact with students, so I have the opportunity to interact with our students, but because, you know, I go where they go sometimes, I'm interacting with all kinds of students from all over, all right? If I go to a football game on a Friday night, and then they'll say, hey, we're going um, over here to this bonfire. You want to come, Pastor? And my first thought is, I really like to go home and get some sleep, 
But then my second thought is, I guess I should go. So then I, I go ahead and I go to the bonfire. All right? Now, the first thing I will tell you when, when I pull up is the music that is playing is not 90.5. Okay? It's not PER. All right? Um, now, my wife laughs sometimes because I can tell you a bunch of hip-hop artists and rap artists, and I can do a bunch of different dances, okay? Is it because I'm a big rap fan or hip-hop fan? No, okay? It's because when I arrive at this party and I, and I want to talk to somebody, I need to be able to be able to talk to them on their level. I need to be able to engage with them with what's important to them. If I just go over there and turn the radio off, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to say, that's bad, and you shouldn't listen to that. And they're going to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, and I'm going to leave. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to go right back to that station it was on. Okay? Um, that's just reality. Um, so I've had this happen over and over again where I have started a conversation about something you would think is the most trivial, meaningless thing in the world. Okay? About a movie somebody's watching, something they're into, whatever, and eventually turns to the gospel. Um, it is the Holy Spirit figuring that all out. It, it takes time because you have to invest and you have to be able to ask questions so that you can uh, get questions so you can give answers. Let's look at the, uh, in verse 18 and 28. What do we see there? 18 and 28. We see an intellectual comprehension. See, Paul was, was well-versed in the philosophy of the day. Um, he had studied their beliefs. Um, you know, Judaism, of course, being the ancient religion, he, he was the Pharisees of the Pharisees. I mean, Paul knew his stuff. So he could, of course, engage in conversation. Um, the scripture in verse 18, it says, um, he was conversing and debating with them. Conversing and debating with them. So he's able to have a conversation and go back and forth, point, counterpoint. In, in verse 28, we find that Paul actually qu quoting one of their poets. So here he is in Athens, and he's able to quote one of their poets. Could you imagine how the intellectuals on the side must have thought, wow, this guy's really smart, he's really educated, he's one of us. And how that would just disarm them to be able to open up in a conversation with him. But why did Paul do that? He didn't do it to be slick. He didn't do that just to fit in. Okay, He didn't do that to look good. We see after this what's, why specifically he did this. Because again, if we look at uh, verse 18 and verse 23, in verse 23, here's where it starts. And here's where we struggle. The pointed confrontation. Because see guys, when we think about confrontation, we think, oh man, confrontation's got to be bad, right? A confrontation, I don't, you know, I don't like conflict. You know, and I don't, I don't want any confrontations. But here's the reality. If you're going to share the gospel, you're going to have to confront some things. We've got to confront sin. We're going to ask this person to repent at some point. We're going to say you've got sin in your life and you need to repent and you need to turn to God. We're going to have to confront some ugly stuff. And it may feel a little uncomfortable. But what does Paul say in verse 23? Again, I mentioned this earlier. He says, What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. But see, guys, here's the key. Instead of focusing on, man, that's difficult, that's hard. How do you do that? Because that's where our mind goes. We start, and the doubt starts creeping in right away. You start going, well, man, I don't know, because that's really uncomfortable. I, that, that part, you know, I could probably take them to there. I could build a rapport. And then I could just probably tell them about Jesus. But I don't know if I really want to share the whole gospel message, because at some point I'm probably going to step on their toes. I'm not a toe, tap, a toe stepper. I don't want to do that. Okay? 
That's where you could go. But you're not going to be able to share effectively the gospel if you're not willing to go there. See, guys, this is our struggle. We have to be willing to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Here's the important thing you can't forget. Before all that doubt creeps in, remember, you've already connected with them. You've already built rapport. You've already built trust. You're up to a place now where they've asked their questions. You've answered those questions to the best of your ability. You're to a point now where if you're ever going to have a chance to step on their toes a little bit, now's the time to do it. Confront them and don't back down. And then what do we see in verses 18 and then 24 through 31? We see this simple gospel presentation. And just over a few lines. And it starts in verse 24. He talks about the one God. Of course, the one God who is the creator of all things, supreme uh, above all creatures. Verse 27, he says that man does, not, uh, man does not seek after God on his own because of his sinfulness, but the man has been created in his image. From there, he declares uh, to them that God revealed himself in humanity in the form of his son, Jesus, who will come and judge the earth. He preaches the resurrection to them in verse 30, and then he calls them to repent. I'm not even sure if, they, if he was talking to me at this point, I'm sure I would know what he was hitting me with. I think I'd just be listening because he's connected to me. And all of a sudden, I probably later would realize, man, he was talking to me about Jesus Christ because he just so simply does it. Friends, this is the gospel. That God created us, that sin separates us from him, and only through the completed work of Jesus we be right in relationship with God. Notice with me in verse 32, after he preached the gospel, sure, some sneered at him. Right? He tells the truth. Some sneered, some made fun. But others said, we shall hear from you concerning this again. That's important. Some were moved. Some were thinking. Some were actually questioning, where am I right now with my relationship? Am I worshiping this worthless stone? Or is there a God in heaven? How can I change? What should I do different? And then we see in 30 and 34, a personal invitation. Here's what's so important. It's a personal invitation. We all know that when we share the gospel, there's going to be an invitation. Do you want Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Because there's a big difference between an invitation and a personal invitation. Personal invitation is that I'm so connected to you. We understand each other. We've gotten to a place uh, in rapport that this is now personal. It's personal between me and you, but it is personal between you and our God in heaven. The call to repentance in verse 30 culminates in verse 34 when Scripture says, but some men joined him and believed. See, guys, Paul, you can look at him and say, man, what was Paul? He was successful. Right? He, he had a model. It worked over and over again. No, he wasn't successful. He was faithful. Paul was faithful. See, Paul, he used his knowledge of culture, but his passion for the gospel to go out and to share Jesus Christ over and over again. Now, I know for some of us, we may be all hearing this morning, and, 
And for, for ourselves, we may still be fearful and say, well, you know what? I still fear, like, what's going to really happen today? If I go out and say, all right, Pastor, I'm going I'm to put this to the test. I'm going to go out today in Walmart. And when I get to that cashier, I'm going to go ahead and ask her about her day. And then that's going to keep going the conversation. And eventually, I'm going to lead to sharing the gospel. And I'm going to try this. Maybe that's where you're at right now. Here's the question. Are you ready to go share with someone who is lost, someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ? Are you to a point where you see so much lostness around you that you don't care what could happen? You're not worried about the fact that you might be told no or you'll be snickered at or laughed at. Because, see, I think that's a big part of our fear is that the world is consistently telling us we're not accepted, we're different, so we start believing it, and then we get scared, and we're not willing to go share. I think the other part of us is that we're afraid, you know what, if I go out in the culture, I'm going to become the culture. And we certainly get fearful of that with our kids. We have that struggle all the time. What do I want to have my kids be a part of? Are they going to be eaten up and spit out by the culture? How do I make sure that I equip them and make sure that they are ready? to change this world. So I think we get stuck on both camps. And you know what happens? If you get stuck, what happens? You don't go anywhere. You don't move. And you know what happens from there? We end up in a place where you just live in these four walls and you live your faith only at home. But God has called us out to do so much more. See, in Romans 12, 2, He says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you're living in God's will, truly living in God's will, the culture, the world, is not going to change you. And the thing that will never change is the gospel. So the question for us this morning is that tomorrow, or maybe Wednesday, right, You've seen everything, right? The good, the bad, the ugly, the really ugly. You're going to go out. Many of you will cast your vote. Wednesday morning, you wake up, you look in the mirror. What do you see? Are you going to see that same really overly busy person who can't find 10 minutes to shave? Because that's me sometimes when I'm looking in the mirror in the morning. Um, Or am I going to see somebody who says, you know what? I truly do love my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. And I'm going to go out this day, and that's going to make a difference for him. And I don't care what the world says. I don't care who's going to snicker and laugh. I'm just going to go out and look for the lost. And I'm going to keep this super simple. And I'm going to build rapport with people I come in contact with. And as I do that, I'm going to share the gospel. And I might step on a few toes. But it's okay, because I want to see you again one day in heaven. You know, that's a question we all need to ask ourselves today and Wednesday and every day. It's a question we need to never, ever stop asking ourselves. Are we ready to share that with the world? Are we ready to go out and make a difference with Jesus Christ? And if not, what's preventing you from going out and doing that?